Before we get into it, gotta shout out Chevalier Mortgage, the official partner and sponsor of the DNVR Rams podcast. Mike and Virginia Chevalier are a husband and wife team with over 15 years of financial service experience. Visit them at dnvrmortgage.com, enter to win a free DNVR shirt or hat of your choice when you do. Most importantly, get set up with a free consultation to discuss all your options. That's dnvrmortgage.com. You know, you might be wondering, are these rates really as good as I'm hearing? They are. I'm telling you, they're incredible. You're going to want to call them. You're going to want to hit up dnvrmortgage.com and get set up with that consultation because they can save you hundreds a month, thousands of dollars in interest over the life of a loan. That's a no-brainer, y'all. That said, you know, refinancing, it's not necessarily for everyone. So Mike and Virginia, they're going to do a quick analysis of your financial situations, run through everything, and they're going to get you set up with the best option for your current situation. Call Mike directly at 970-412-2472. That's 970-412-2472. Get set up with a free consultation or visit dnvrmortgage.com. Enter to win a free DNVR shirt or hat of your choosing when you do. Mike and Virginia Chevalier, the best in the business. Michael Chevalier, NMLS number 1931006. Virginia Chevalier, NMLS number 1910631. What's up, everyone? Justin Michael of DNVR Rams here. Ben Girding is with me of DNVR Buffs, and we are talking a little bit of college basketball. This is DNVR Madness, an extension of our college basketball coverage. We're talking all things college hoops all season. Ben, I've been loving all these awesome early college basketball games. It's not like a traditional season where we get, you know, just a bunch of dumpy non-conference games. We're getting the elite matchups right off the bat. We talked about that a little bit last week. What game do you want to start with this week? Yeah, you know, I mean, the last time we talked was on Friday. We really previewed the Baylor-Gonzaga game hard. Unfortunately, that game canceled due to COVID. So the next, you know, really big game on the docket came last Sunday with Villanova etching out Texas by four. This is a game where I think both teams can come away with it with with a lot of positivity. You know, obviously Villanova getting a big time game in your win column. You know, after they they had a, they had a loss early in the season. This helps them. They played their brand of basketball. But looking at Texas in particular, only losing by four to Villanova, a team that if you look at just their strength and how if they play to the best of their capabilities, I think they're easily a top five team in the country. So for them to only lose by four, I think, was was a great game. Um, You put that on top of their wins against North Carolina and Indiana. Texas, they came away with a loss in this game, but they are sneakily, you know, I guess not really sneakily anymore. They're on everybody's radar of putting together a great start to their season. You know, it's a great point. Texas isn't really a team that I think a lot of us were paying that close attention to coming into the season. Obviously, the Big 12 talk, it was all about Kansas. It was all about Baylor. Both of those teams have really looked good. But in terms of, you know, the Big 12 team that surprised us the most, got to be Texas. You know, there's, there's no moral victories in sports. But like you said, you know, only losing by four at Villanova, a team that I'm as high on as anybody. I mean, I had Villanova at two last week. So I think they're... I. You know, I think they're a top five team for sure. I think they're a top three team. If you're Texas, you know, moving forward, I think you have to feel pretty good about, you know, how you've handled things in non-conference play and how you, you at least on paper, are going to line up with some of these really elite teams in the Big 12. Another team that I kind of feel like can kind of have some, I guess, moral victories, if you will, or just feel good about themselves despite losing, the North Carolina Tar Heels. Now, this is a team that, I'll be honest, I, I haven't been that high on them all year. Hadn't had them in the top 25 until last week, but 
I'm actually higher on them now after losing, you know, to Texas and to Iowa than I think I was when they were three and zero. What do you feel like? You know, what's your read on UNC so far? Yeah, you know, I I'm still not I'm still not all the way there on North Carolina. I think absolutely though. I, I completely agree in the fact that their last two losses they've shown something that they didn't show early in the season. And that's important. Um, you know, they're, they're a team that's still kind of in that vein of figuring out their identity. Um, and they're going to be ranked just based on that name recognition. They're going to get the benefit of the doubt. Um, but for us objectively analyzing them, absolutely. I think what they were able to do, keeping it close against Texas, you know, losing on a buzzer beater like that, it's just one of those things where you chalk up and say, all right, you know, nice shot. That was a good outing. And, and against Iowa too, I mean, Luca Garza, this was the first time all season that he was held under what, like 30 points, um, going 16 or six of 20 from the field. And he still put up a double double. But the, the, the fact of the matter is North Carolina, they came in there with a good game plan. They played a strong game and you lost by 13 to an elite team. Iowa really showed that without Luca Garza putting up 40 points, they can still win. They can still beat top competition. So I think with that North Carolina moving forward, I think they're they're still primed to make a run in the ACC, especially you know when you see the faults of Duke, and we'll get into Duke and Coach K a little bit later. But North Carolina, I think they've got a, a pretty good path in the ACC for them to make some noise. I think that's a great point because the ACC has not been overwhelmingly impressive out of the gate, and North Carolina kind of feels like one of those teams that yeah that they've they've been a little slow out of the gate. But I think, you know, come March, they're a team that could be pretty capable of making a run. I like what we've seen from R.J. Davis, the freshman guard, uh, Caleb Love, and Caleb Love, freshman forward, another guy who has really good potential. You know, Dayron Sharp, Garrison Brooks, kind of that veteran presence. So they're, they're a team that I think ultimately is probably going to finish in the top, you know, three or four of the ACC. Definitely a tournament team. I'm just not so sure they're you know, a bona fide top 20 team at the moment. I did have them in the, in my rankings close. I can't remember exactly where I had them. I think I had them at like 18 last week or something like that. And but that, that seems, you know, pretty fair for where they're at. I probably won't drop them too much based on these losses. What are you thinking? Yeah. Um, you had them at 17. I had them at 19. 19. So yeah, right, right around that area is, yeah, I don't think I'm going to drop them too far. Yeah, I think they're going to slip out of the top 20. But realistically, I think North Carolina, they're playing the long game with the ACC. When you look at teams like, you know, Louisville's had a fantastic start to their, start to their season. Clemson also has had a, a very good start. They, they beat Maryland in the Big Ten ACC game. So, th- so those are two kind of sleeper teams in that regard. And then obviously, you've got Virginia who had that early season slip up, but they're still a good team. And, and also Duke, you know, you can't discredit Duke too, too much just in, in the long run. Cause you got to imagine coach K is going to figure it out. So realistically right now, there's about five teams in the ACC that I think are really in contention to make some noise this season, North Carolina. I don't think they fall out of the top three in that regard. Uh, you know, where they finish is, is just going to end up on how they're able to tie it all together long-term, but when you play teams like Iowa and Texas and you lose, you lose in a good way. You didn't blow it yourself. You know, you, you played strong games. You feel a lot better about them being to clean up the bottom half, the ACC and really compete with teams like Louisville and Clemson because Louisville and Clemson are not on the same level as an Iowa or as a Texas. So as far as conference play goes, I think they've really positioned themselves in a good spot. 
Well put. Let's let's flip things to Iowa then. Like we said, you know, Luca Garza, not exactly a stellar game. I think he was six of twenty from the field, still finished with a double double. So, you know, Luca Garza's Luca Garza, he's gonna get his. But man, this game to me proved just how deep Iowa is. I mean, CJ Frederick, Joe Weiskamp, Jordan Bohannon, they combined for 17 threes in this game. If 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 that happens, I mean, they're gonna be able to beat anyone. Yeah. I mean, when you look at it just from a box score perspective, Iowa was impressive. It was a fantastic team game. And then you go into the stats and you actually watch the game in the eye test and you realize not everything came from Garza. He was the fourth leading scorer on the team. I think you put it perfectly as in this team showed something. They can win without Garza being a 30, 40 point player a night. And that's so important. That's so important because teams now can't just dedicate to double teams in the post, limit Garza, and you know you're going to win. You have to guard different dynamics. And for them to put up 93 points against what we just talked about, a growing, a, a still strong North Carolina team, the, they are the epitome of what the Big Ten is going to be this year, which is just going to be a, a cluster of very good teams knocking each other out one by one. Right now, you know, I'm hard-pressed to put anybody in the Big Ten above Iowa. You've got a lot of good teams there, though, you know, and so it's going to be interesting to see how that translates to conference play because Iowa, you know, historically, they they normally put up great points against non-con, and then they struggle down the stretch against some better opponents. They got that big win against North Carolina, which I think is going to cement them at number three for the rankings going into next week. But again, it's really going to be interesting the next month or so, how they take care of the big 10. That's a great point. I think the problem with the big 10 this year, and and we talked about this a little bit last week is they're going to cannibalize themselves just because there are so many good teams. And I, I, I still do have some questions about, you know, how legitimate of a contender Iowa is in the long run, but man, they, you, you mentioned they scored 93 points. That's their season low this year. I mean, they're in four games, they're, they're just putting up NBA type numbers. And it's been really impressive to watch. I mean, to score that much in a 40 minute game that consistently is, it just shows how efficient they are offensively. I, I do wonder, you know, when they get into Big Ten play, they play some of these teams that are a little bit more physical, guys that can kind of really bang at Garza a little bit more. Do they, you know, do they wilt? But like we're saying now, I mean, if, if you have those other guys going for 17 threes that are on the perimeter, I mean, it's just going to be so tough to beat them. They're so deep. They're so versatile. They've got good size. The Big Ten, it's going to be fun this year. Yeah. And, you know, staying along the vein of the Big Ten, Minnesota, Michigan, they open up 6-0, and 5-0. You know, and those are teams. I've got Michigan in my top 25. Um, I believe they were 25th in the AP. No, they were just outside of the AP. Yeah, just outside. Week. Um, you've got teams like, obviously, Michigan State 5-0, Ohio State 4-0. Um, Wisconsin, a good team, dropped that game um, against. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm blanking on who it was. Marquette. That's how bad it was. Yeah, Mark. Okay, yeah, no, Marquette wasn't was not as bad a loss as I think I, I was thinking in my head. But no, still. it was on the road, and and they've got a veteran point guard and DJ Carton, the Ohio State transfer. Marquette's going to beat some teams this year. I I think in the long run that's not going to be a bad loss, and it's kind of you know par for the course from Iowa. They all, or I mean from Wisconsin, they always come out of the gate a little bit slow, and they seem to get stronger as the year goes on. They're kind of the opposite of Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> and then also you've got Maryland in there too, who's 4-1. They lost a, a good game against Clemson. 
that's the Big Ten. And with that, I'm going to lead into the other, you know, powerhouse in the Big Ten right now, and that's Illinois. And as I'm reading off all these teams in the Big Ten, I hope all the listeners out there are realizing how terrifying this conference is going to be uh, to face any of these guys. But Illinois, they, they come away with a win against Duke. They lost last week against Baylor, and we talked about that loss against Baylor. Um, but talking about that Duke game, it was really impressive how they were what, – what the line was in that game. You know, what Vegas thought of that game compared to what you and I were texting about that game was like, why, why is it set like this? Like, Illinois is going to come in there and, and, and really make some waves. So my question to you, I'm going to flip it, though. We know what Illinois is. They've been a great team. Is this more of a boat of confidence for the fighting Illini? Or is this more of a detriment on Coach K and Duke as far as losing their second non-conference game at home? I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest, because I am really high on Illinois. I think they are one of the best teams in the Big Ten. I have not been in on Duke yet. I mean, 15 is like the highest I've had them in my rankings, I think. So I just, I, I don't, I don't see it yet. You know, they're, they're a lot like North Carolina in the sense that I think they'll be a lot better come March. But from what we've seen now, I mean, man, and obviously, you know, we're going to, we'll finish the podcast with a, some greater Coach K discussion. But it doesn't look good, man, the way that yeah. they came out in these non-conference games and then. I mean, Illinois beat them so bad, they don't even want to play anymore. Yeah. And I think that is just so fascinating that they say, you know what, no, we're, we're just going to tap out of the non-con game for the rest of the season. Um, but, you know, Illinois, you've got, uh, you know, they're so deep and they play a, a physical defensive game that everything else kind of falls into place. Um, and, and, you know, for a defensive team to put up, 83 points on Duke too, you know, obviously exactly. And obviously they've got weapons with the Sumu and, and he's leading the charges as one of the top players in the country. I haven't been as impressed by the this year as others. Obviously he's, he's played fantastic, but I think the hype around him might be a little bit higher than I'm willing to go. But at the same time, I mean, that Illinois team, you realistically could have four, Big 10 teams in the top 10 by the end of this season with Illinois, Iowa, Michigan State, Wisconsin, or yeah, Michigan State and Wisconsin. And you've also then, like I said, got Ohio State, Michigan, Minnesota at the back end. I mean, the, the question becomes, is Illinois good enough to beat off um, Iowa? Are they good enough to defeat Michigan State? And I think they are. I think they're a team that right now might project as the second or third team in the conference but I think they have the best chance to beat in Iowa or to beat them in Michigan State. And so realistically, they could end up being a one or a two seed in March and win the conference. And I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest. You know what's crazy is we just named seven teams that are probably capable of being in the top 25. We didn't even talk about Maryland. We didn't talk about Rutgers. I mean, they could get 10 teams in the tournament this year easy. Yep. It, it's, it's so interesting because you see other you know, big name conferences like the Pac-12 dropping games left and right, whereas the Big Ten is just on fire, you know? And in a year where there's been a lot of turnover as far as your top teams, this is a great time for the Big Ten to come alive because you're not going to have the same people at the top kind of controlling the one seeds. Obviously, Gonzaga, Baylor, and Kansas are still around, but your Dukes and North Carolinas and Kentuckys, they're taking a step back this year. 
So who is going to be that fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth team to really rise up there? We could be looking at realistically two or three Big Ten teams as a one, two, or three seed. Um, And that's just incredible as far as the depth of that conference Um, and really where all the talent is this year because it's not in the Pac-12. And the SEC, Tennessee played a great game. We'll talk about them in a bit. But also, you know, you've got Missouri playing really great basketball, but they're not the same conference that that they normally are as well. It's just fascinating to see how the landscape is starting to take shape. It's the Big Ten and the Big 12 and then everybody else this year. And, and you know, I, I don't like to say stuff like that because I actually think the best team in the country is still Gonzaga, obviously. But, you know, just from when it comes to the conferences, top to bottom, I think these those are the two that are really just going to be consistent. Let's flip over the Big 12 and talk a little bit about that Kansas-Creighton game. I, how do you feel about Kansas right now? Because... I'm I'm not a Kansas like diehard fan per se, but I do root for the Jayhawks. I have a lot of family out in Kansas. Got a pennant up on my wall. Rock chalk. Rock I'm chalk. not sure they're a legitimate contender this year. Yeah, you know, it's definitely not the same Kansas team that I think a lot of people are expecting. And and I, I don't want to discredit their win over Creighton at all because it was a fantastic win. And they're definitely going to stay at five, maybe jump up to four in this week's rankings. But it, Kansas, they just don't feel the same. And that's and that's going to catch up to them at some point, especially when you're going against teams like Baylor and honestly, teams like Texas. I think right now they're going to be a top five team. But when it comes to conference play and they have to take on Baylor, I don't think that it's going to be as close a game as it was last year. I don't think that those two teams are going to be, you know, the two teams at the top of the rankings come March. I do still think they're a top 15, top 10 team, but I think Baylor, after seeing what I've seen from Baylor and seeing what I've seen from Kansas thus far, I do think Baylor has a much wider gap as far as talent and and how far they're going to go than Kansas did. And I think that's a, that's less of a a slight on Kansas, more of a, a compliment on Baylor at this point, because they're that strong of a team. But I think people just need to be ready to understand that, you know, rock shock is not the same this year and just get prepared for that to not just ride Kansas in the tournament because it's Kansas. It's unfortunate because I think Kansas had a great chance to win it all last year. So you know, this year, it's just one of those where it's, yeah, they're going to be really good. They're, they're going to be, they're going to finish near the top. You know, like you said, they're a top 15 team. I doubt they finish, you know, further than second, maybe third in the big 12, depending on you know, what we see out of Texas down the stretch. I think they still probably eke out, you know, just ahead of the Longhorns. But other than Jalen Wilson, man, I just, I don't know. I, I haven't seen it defensively from Kansas. That's what worries me most about Baylor. They're so physical. They have just so much size. I mean, they're just going to go in the post, and I don't know how you stop it. You don't. That I mean, that's, that's the realistic thing is Baylor is going to play bully ball against Kansas, and it's going to be a wake-up call to this Jayhawks team because – Baylor, I think their defense is going to be their most productive offense in that game because they're going to rattle Kansas. They're going to force turnovers. They're going to force bad shots. You're going to make Kansas play deep into the shot clock and get looks you're not comfortable with. And then you can chase down long rebounds and turnovers, get a man transition, and they can use their size and athleticism to, to just move Kansas around the block when they have to play set offense. I mean, I think Kansas is still going to play them hard. I do. But 
when you look at what Baylor brings to the table, a, a team that, you know, we all missed out on a fantastic game from them uh, against Gonzaga, but they're still 4-0, and they've got more tests coming up. They've got um, Texas this weekend, but they beat Illinois, and Illinois is a great defensive team as well, and they beat Illinois pretty, pretty handedly. So what are you going to do against a Kansas team who – they're not as big as you. They're not as strong as you. And they're not as fundamentally sound on defense as you. It's, it really could be a game that slips away from Kansas pretty quickly if they don't play a lights-out game. Baylor and Iowa are two teams that I, I've just been trying to find holes to poke in their game. And, and I don't see it. Like I, just, I, haven't been, I texted you that during the Iowa game. And then that's kind of when we started talking about you know, the Luca Garza stuff. If they can, you know, play like that without guards that put them numbers, look out. Baylor's kind of the same deal. You know, I came into this season trying to be a skeptic, you know, trying to find holes. There just aren't any. They're, they're, they're so good defensively. They have so much length. They're deep. They're athletic. I mean, ah, they're taking the Big 12. I'm, I'm sorry, Kansas fans. They're taking the Big 12. And, and this, this week is going to be big for them because on Sunday, Texas and Baylor are going head-to-head. That is going to be a huge matchup test for both of these programs. When you look for Texas, and we talked about Texas a little bit earlier, but how do they hang with the second team in the country? You know, they've picked up some good wins, some close losses. How do you hang against a a big dog? Um, And then for Baylor, can you continue to just take care of business? Because they won that game against Illinois pretty handily. Um, and I did think L- Illinois played well, but that was a game where Baylor was it really never felt in doubt. So how do they do again against them, another ranked team? Because if they go out there and just dominate Texas and win by double digits like they did against Illinois, yeah, you're right back to it as, yeah, but there are no holes with Baylor at this point. They're playing great basketball. I do still want to talk about that San Diego State game against Arizona State, but it feels kind of natural to, to transition into this just based on everything that we've talked about over the last couple of minutes. And that is, can anybody actually contend with Gonzaga this season? Gonzaga has by far looked like the best team in the country. They're on pause right now because of COVID. From, based on what we've seen out of Iowa, based on what we've seen you know, out of Villanova, out of a cup, Baylor, a couple of these teams are any of those teams title teams in your opinion? Yeah. You know, I don't think Iowa has the same chance and that's because I don't think they're defensively sound enough to shoot, shut down Gonzaga. Um, I think I was, I mean, we talked about it. Iowa's offense is fantastic. They're, they're shooting fireworks, but Gonzaga has got the best offense in the country. They've got so many playmakers. It is so tough to shut them down. So when you get a, if you were to get a matchup of Gonzaga versus Iowa, it's just going to be a shootout. And so at the point, who do you stand with? I would stand with Gonzaga because they've shown they can do it and they've proved they can do it on a big stage. The teams I think that have the best shot against Gonzaga are going to be the defensive ones. So that's going to be Baylor. That's going to be Illinois. I think those two teams have decent matchups against Gonzaga because they've got the size, they've got the length, they've got all the different attributes you want on defense to to try and limit that offensive potential because Gonzaga it's not about stopping them it's about trying to slow them down and and stay in the game so those are two teams that I do think could contend with Gonzaga and one other team that I'll throw out there just because I like where they're at is is Villanova I think Villanova 
is going to be a top five team in this in 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 the in the country. That loss against Virginia Tech kind of haunts them, and it haunts them a little bit more because Virginia Tech has not looked very good recently. So that's a tough loss, but they still have the talent and the ability. So if I had to name three teams, it definitely would be Baylor, Illinois, and Villanova. I'm really excited about this season because it really feels like a year where we could get two non-Power 5 teams potentially in the national championship. And, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those guys where I'll only root for, you know, the small schools or anything like that. But I do think that's what makes March Madness so much more unique than the college football playoff is the possibility of a small school like Creighton Dominate or Creighton or Gonzaga or Villanova going on a title run. You mentioned Villanova. I'm going to bring up Creighton. I know they lost that game to Kansas. They're really, really good. They have a deep roster. They're really experienced. I mean, they, four upperclassmen in their starting lineup. All of them are averaging double-digit figures right now. They got three more guys going for eight or more. They're just one of those teams like Gonzaga. You can't really key in on one guy. And I think come tournament time, having that experience and just playing as many games together as that group has played over the last three years, Creighton's a dangerous team. Look out for them, especially in a weird year like this one. Yeah, and the the Big East is no sleeper as far as basketball goes this year. Um, you know, I, I grew up in Cincinnati, so it, it's very hard for me to recognize Xavier. But they have had a great start to this season. They're five and zero. You've got Villanova in there as well. I mean, that's a conference where y- your conference wins aren't that bad. This isn't a situation like Gonzaga where they need to schedule hard non-con because when you get into your conference play. Wins are just expected. And so for a te- for teams like Creighton and Villanova, they're not teams where they have to prove themselves all in November and early December. And I think that is going to help them out in the long run because, you know, the Big East right now, I think it's really, for me, between three teams as far as Nova and Creighton. And then, you know, Xavier's making some noise, but I'm not sure they're going to stick around. So, for a team like Creighton, I completely agree. I think they can make it in there. And I, I like what you said. This is a weird year where you really can have several non-conference or uh, not non-conference, uh, small schools, you know, group of five conferences be represented. And as it stands right now, realistically, half of one and two seeds could be small schools with Gonzaga, Villanova, Creighton, Houston in there as well, coming out of the American. I mean, there's a lot of noise to be Richmond made. Richmond in the A-10. I mean, St. Louis in the A-10. There are just a lot of teams right now that are really impressing. And that's what makes it so fun. You know, I, I'm i not rooting against the, the big guys all the time. You know, we need the Big 12. We need the SEC. We need the Big 10. But the parity in college basketball is tremendous right now. It's not necessarily the most skilled that it's ever been. You know, I think the, the overall individual talent in college basketball, kind of a down year. You know, I don't think there's anybody we've seen where like, oh man, that's an, you know, an elite NBA talent guy. You got to take number one. It's going to transform your team. But as far as the competitive balance goes, I'm into it. I'm really into it. Absolutely. I mean, this is, this is such a great year because you've got several teams who have a decent case to be one or two in the rankings. And that's great. It's great to be number one in, in your AP role or AP poll. But realistically, it comes down to where does the selection committee put you? on you know selection sunday where do you end up in that way and, and if you end up as a one seed um that that's great and you've got a lot of teams ready for it so let's let's steer back into a little bit of the game recap so i know you want to talk about this san diego state arizona state game 
What what a performance last night. I mean DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is wishing you the happiest of holidays. And to kick off this season of giving, DraftKings has new promotions and odds boosts every day this week. Luckily for us sports fans, there's an abundance of action taking place this week. Football teams are in the hunt to secure a playoff spot. College basketball is in the heart of the season. UFC 256 coming up this weekend. It is a great time to be a sports fan. And DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users the chance to earn a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000 when signing up with the promo code DNVR. DraftKings Sportsbook has endless ways for you to bet from live betting, betting on your favorite players, props, all of that. They do it all. And to celebrate UFC 256, DraftKings is giving all new users the opportunity to triple their winnings when they sign up. All you got to do is sign up using that promo code DNVR, place a bet on UFC 256, and you can triple your winnings. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code DNVR when you sign up to get that sign-up bonus of up to $1,000, that promo code DNVR to get a deposit bonus of up to $1,000 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado-only bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Where, where do you want to start with it? Where do you want to start with it? All right. First of all, let's, let's just start with a sheer gambling perspective. Vegas, what are you doing? Plus 130 San Diego State? I mean, you are giving out money. They're just not paying attention. I said it last week. San Diego State, Anytime they're going against the Pac-12, it becomes personal for them. They, they don't get the attention. So far this year, they played two t- top 25 teams out of the Pac-12, beat both of them by double digits. Really, hand- And two good teams. I mean, UCLA and Arizona State, not contenders by any means. I've, I've said on multiple occasions, I think ASU a little bit of fool's gold there. But man, SDSU, their length defensively, their versatility. They've got a lot of different guys that can get to the hoop. I think they're as dangerous as, you know, just about any of those other teams we've seen. They don't have the three-point shooting that some of these other really elite non-Power 5 teams have at the moment. And that's kind of different because they really had it last year with Malachi Flynn and Yanni Wetzel. They're a little bit different this time around. Jordan Shackle, man, he lit it up. He's got to be my player of the week this week just for that performance. 9 of 15 from the field, 5 of 9 from 3, finished with 25 points. I mean, what really impressed me, though, it was just that killer mindset. I mean, he was playing within the offense, but whenever there was that moment to just kind of go for the kill, that's what he went for. And that's what you need from an experienced team going up against, you know, a power five team. They weren't scared. There were a couple of moments where ASU made runs and SDSU kept stepping on the throat. Yeah. And the thing that I love about San Diego State right now is those wins came against two very different stylistic teams. So UCLA, they are, a, they are a roll-in-the-mud, let's-get-dirty team. They're going to play defense. They're going to be gritty. And San Diego State took care of them, no problem, double-digit win. Arizona State, completely the opposite. Arizona State wants to be in a track meet with you. All they want to do is tee up three-point shots for themselves and just keep sprinting back and forth. Use their quick guards and work it in that way. Again, 12-point win. And 
that is so important for a team against non-conference games, in my opinion. Show that you can win in different ways. Show that you are capable of doing different things tactically in your matchups to come away with big wins. And for them to do that against two top 25 teams, I mean, San Diego State, 37-3 and three in their last 40 games. The fact that they're only 24 right now, I think, is, is a slight. Criminal. It's that people aren't paying. Yeah, this is a top 15 team in college basketball right now. There is no sign of them being any different. Now, granted, like you touched on, the three-point shooting, that's going to be different this year. You went from having a couple capable shooters that really made a a solid three-point shooting team into you've got Jordan Shackle, and Jordan Shackle is your shooter. Um, And and that's going to catch up to them at some point. I do think that that's going to make some games closer. But San Diego State doesn't care because three-point basketball right now is not their formula. They play so well together. They've got that great chemistry. They're sound on both ends of the floor. And the other thing is they're not going to beat themselves. You know, 12 turnovers for them yesterday, but they're a team that prides themselves on taking care of the basketball, making smart decisions. And I just think that that's going to be a winning formula. They rebound well. Um, You've got Nathan Mensa yesterday with a double-double in the first half. They just have so many pieces that put together a great basketball team that I think it's only a matter of time before they start getting top 15, top 10 in the rankings, especially when other schools start to lose in the conference. I mean, we didn't even bring up Matt Mitchell and it feels like he's been at San Diego state for 10 years, but I mean, he couldn't hit a jumper to save his life last night, but what I loved about him, he didn't keep putting up dumb shots. It's just a credit to San Diego state. So he's like, all right, I can't make anything. I'm going to get to the hoop. And that's what he did, man. 12 of 15 at the free throw line. He really made a difference down the stretch. Like you said, they're smart. They've got great length. They match up well with the power five opponents because of that size that they have. I do think they are going to lose some games just because it's going to be tough for them to score. And they're going to go up against some teams in the Mountain West that can kind of shoot. But it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how this team kind of finishes down the stretch because what they went like 33 and two last year or something crazy like that. Maybe not quite that. Cause they didn't get that many games in, but man, San Diego yeah, state I, put some respect on their name. Yeah, they are. I think they, they love this kind of dark horse, uh, you know, the, the disrespect, nobody believes in us, believe in ourselves. Totally. Cause they keep going out here, you know, as underdogs in these big games and just destroy. I mean, I think 12 points, uh, the, the 12 point win margin, was closer than it really was um, because Arizona State did get a couple of threes there late that, that made it a little bit closer. I mean, San Diego State in the second half destroyed the Sun Devils. That, that game was, was a no contest at about the 18-minute mark in the second half. So one last game I want to highlight, um, and then we'll move into some questions and polls and whatnot, is that Colorado-Tennessee game. And the reason I want to is because it was Tennessee's first game of the season um, and they're a team that has a lot of hype around them, the number 12 ranked team in the country. And this was just their first game. You know, what are your takeaways from, from that game? What do, what do you think of Tennessee is your first look at this 2020, 2021 uh, roster? I've been pretty high on Tennessee coming into the season, just based on the experience that they returned. I will say I didn't love what I saw from them offensively against CU. Now CU is an experienced team. I thought they played really hard you know, they, they did everything they could to keep that game close. I'm a little worried about what this Tennessee team is going to be able to bring, especially, you know, against, a, I guess, like Iowa or Gonzaga, just a team that can really put up points. I think they're going to be able to 
you know, do fine in those slower games. I, I just, I'm a little worried about what they bring to the table from a scoring perspective. I, I felt the same way about CU though. So maybe it's just a matter of two teams playing really hard and a kind of a strong defensive showing. You're the buffs guy. So I'm going to let you take lead on this game. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's fascinating because of that. Both of these teams are, are defensively sound teams. Now, obviously, Tennessee is on a different defensive level. I think they yeah, are playing exactly. elite. And so when you analyze, you know, they, they held CU to just 33% from the field, but they only shot 36%. So was this, you know, I, I think this could come down to a couple of different reasons. Was it their first game knocking off the rust? Was it D, uh, CU's defense forcing them into some tough situations? I think... It's a healthy balance of both. I think CU did play good defense, but also Colorado did not impress in that game as far as, you know, what they were able to do. I think the only impressive thing to take away was that Colorado hung in it and to only lose by nine against Tennessee ended up being pretty solid for a Buffalo's team that was never, never really felt in it. They were not able to hit shots the entire night. For Tennessee, they need to find a true scorer. They had Viscovi, who shot three for four from deep. Um, and he, he's, he's fantastic as a shooter, but he just didn't get as many looks after he hit three in a row. They didn't really look his way. You've got John Fulkerson in there, who was their, this team's leading scorer last season. And the, the person I think is going to take over is going to be EJ Anoseki. He was their, the number six rated grad transfer. He didn't start this game, and he only played 14 minutes. But he grabbed four points, four boards. He looked dominant when he was in the game. So I think they need to get him more involved on the offensive end because this is a guy who last year at Sacred Heart averaged a double-double with 15 and 11. So he can do it. The other they're thing a team is, that lacks scoring. So it's, it's, maybe, yeah. it's, maybe it's early in the year, the lack of practice and everything. That's why he hasn't been in the rotation. But great point. I'm glad you brought up him because he, he really shined in a small sample size but really played well in that game. Yeah, and, th- and the last guy from Tennessee that just has to step up offensively is Pons, the SEC Defensive Player of the Year last year. Played fantastic defense, but he was one for nine from the floor. You've just got to—he's just got to be more efficient. If you're only scoring two points in a game, that's fine because of what you bring to the defensive end. But if you're only scoring two points, it's got to be on one of two or one of three because that just shows you know what—it wasn't my time. I wasn't open, you know. If you're going to take these shots, if you want to be this team's focal point, you've got to hit at a better clip. And again, I'm not going to hold it too far against him because he put up decent numbers last year offensively, and he's such a defensive presence that he needs to be on the floor as much as he can. But that's a guy who I think if he can step up and just get eight to 10 points a night, force defensives to focus on him as well, and that'll open up John Fulkerson and EJ Anoseki, and that'll just kind of allow Tennessee to play a little more fluid, open up some passing lanes and, and be able to score better and, and more efficiently moving forward. I didn't really love the shot selection by either team in this either. And and that, you know, really could g- come down to it being early as well and both teams trying to press, especially when they weren't able to get buckets consistently. But for a team in Colorado that has a very experienced point guard in McKinley Wright, Tennessee, we just talked about everything that they brought back. I was a little surprised at just kind of the the low quality offense in that game as a whole. Yeah, you know, I think Tennessee, I think it's more for them just because they're not used to, you know, this is, a, it was a tough game to open up your season against a team like Colorado. But for Colorado shot selection, the term that I used to describe it was Tennessee's defense was suffocating. 
forcing them late into the shot clock, not totally. allowing them to work the ball inside. Um, Tennessee is a team that they don't have – well, they do have a seven-footer, but the, the, the lineup that they play, it's not extraordinarily tall in your forward in the front court, but it's also abnormally tall in your back court. And so your total height is a high average, around six foot six, six foot seven from your guard to forward spot. And so that is so tough for a guy like McKinley Wright, who's been undersized his whole career. You saw that Colorado brought the ball up the court and they would stop at the top of the key. They didn't know where to go. You couldn't really pass the ball inside. Tennessee has so much length on the wings that they were closing off passing lanes around the arc. I mean, that defense just shuts you down and it forces you to play two-man basketball because you bring up a forward and you have them maybe get you into a pick and roll, trying to generate some movement. And it felt like Colorado, the other guys were just standing in the corner because they didn't have anywhere to move. Now, granted, I think they needed more movement in the first place. I think that was a lack of Colorado's offense on that end, that they weren't moving the ball enough. But at the same time, I do think to blame it all on Colorado's offense, I think is a discredit to Tennessee's defense. I think this was a game where it was truly a healthy balance of both. Colorado's offense was not there. They looked lazy and lethargic out there, to be honest. But also, I think they were intimidated. I think they got on the court with Tennessee and said, wow. Because I, I caught it on the Boss Plus game show. I said, Tennessee is a group of chiseled men out there. That <laughs> starting five is, is ridiculous. And so what they did defensively, I mean, I don't know who can beat them in the SEC. I think Missouri is playing great basketball, but when you play Tennessee, they remind me a lot of a team like UCLA where they're just going to beat you defensively. And the offense is just going to kind of come because of it, because they're going to force so many turnovers. Colorado came into this game with just under nine turnovers per game. They had 23, 23 against Tennessee. And again, that's where it's like, did Colorado turn the ball over a lot? Yes. But Tennessee's defense, I mean, I don't know if anybody can tell out there, but I'm now, I'm so much higher on Tennessee after that game because I, I, I agree. I thought their experience was going to give them a boost. But two things, their defense, and also I was impressed by some of their young kids getting in there. Um, Keon Johnson, five-star point guard, he got some good minutes in there, and, and he made some plays. So I think Tennessee as a whole, they're just going to keep growing. They're a top-10 team for sure. Agreed. I've had them in the top 10 and in all of my polls so far this year, I believe I got to double check that. Let me see. Oh, no. I'd, oh, yeah. Had them in nine last week. Nice. All right. That's probably where I'll have them. Uh, maybe move them up a little bit. I'm thinking out loud here. Anyways, let's move on and talk about Coach K because he has been the talk of the town lately. Duke deciding they're taking their ball. They're heading home. No, I'm just kidding. They're not going to play non-conference. Uh, it's only two games that they're giving up against smaller opponents. I just, I struggle with this. If, if, if Duke had won those non-conference games, we'll basically go to the Nate Oak comments. If Duke had won those non-conference games, are they packing things up right now? No, not at all. And so I think the way Duke, I think, is going to justify this as we're not playing good basketball, so we're not going to waste our time on locals. We just want to focus on us and getting better. And I don't, I, I'm not opposed to that viewpoint. I'm not opposed to them saying, we need to put the brakes on because this season's not going well. And if we don't stop and look at what we're doing as a team, it's going to continue this route. Now, with that being said, the problem I have with it is this looks so bad. 
this looks in the public perception. I mean, it looks like you're just quitting. It looks like you're saying, you know what? Those non-con games, they don't matter anyway. Those losses didn't matter. We're just going to cancel and move on to conference play. And that's just a tough look for, for a team that's so experienced that normally gets the benefit of the doubt. So I think as far as public perception goes, as far as it looks for AP voters, this is not a good look. They might come out after this and be playing lights out because Coach K gets them in check. But I think it's going to take them a little bit more time to rebuild their rapport on a national scale because they canceled these games. That looks bad. And also now they're going to be out of the limelight. And so I, I think it's a, it's a gamble for sure. I'll be curious to see how this impacts their national perception in terms of how far do you drop them in the rankings, especially while other teams continue to play. I, you know, I, I haven't been high on them very, you know, basically at all this season. So I'm certainly not going to shoot them up at all. I'll, I'll be curious to see if they drop, you know, maybe even around a 20. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked because the thing with this season in particular is when you are not playing and you're out of that spotlight, it gives other teams so many opportunities to go out there, play impressive basketball. And then all of a sudden you compare records. It's like, Oh, well, well Duke's been two and two for the last three weeks. Meanwhile, you've got a team like San Diego state who's playing fantastic basketball and they've been, you know, they've been playing big time games. Yeah. San Diego state's probably better than Duke right now. Let's move them up. You've got other teams that can do that. You've got teams in the AP like Richmond, like Louisville, like Ohio state. Some of these 20 to 25 teams that now are in the spotlight, they're probably going to keep winning. And then you force the AP's hand to saying, sorry, Duke, you're really not doing a whole lot. So it's going to be interesting. At the end of the day, I do think that Duke will come out of this stretch better than they were going into it. And that is a blind faith in Coach K. Because no matter what happens this season, he is still the best college basketball coach in history. And there's a reason for that. So, Whatever he has planned, I think, is going to work in the long run, but it's a tremendous gamble, and you might not see the fruits of this gamble until late January, early February. I'll say this. I I have a ton of respect and admiration for Coach K. I'm not a Coach K hater. I think it's easy to take shots at Duke. I'll do it sometimes just because it's fun, but you know, everything that they've earned, everything that they've established, it's it's for a reason. You know, they're a contender year in and year out and have been for like four consecutive decades. It's, it's absolutely insane. I just, I, I like that a guy like Nate Oates is willing to come out and talk a little shit to him. I, you know, I just feel like the general sense around college basketball is Coach K is kind of untouchable. Well, Nate Oates is one of those guys, man. When, when he was the coach of Buffalo, he's you know out there saying, we're better than Arizona and coming out and beat them by double digits. I love the attitude. I think having guys like him and Will Wade in the SEC are good. Other than, you know, Will Wade might be a little bit shady. He's good for entertainment. I like that we have some guys that are willing to take shots at Coach K. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it's going to humble that team a lot, this stretch. And maybe that's what they needed. Maybe they needed a little bit of, we're not Duke anymore. You know, we're not this team that's going to be top four because we got, you know, blue devils across our chest. And it's... a <clears throat> excuse me, it's it's a situation where I, I respect Coach K for making the move and I respect everybody who's hating on it because everybody here is justified. 
Coach K, I think, really is in a, in a it's it's he's in a tough spot. He's never really been in this situation before in a long time where your team is just not playing good basketball. So what do you do as far as doing? And and I I respect his approach more than I do a guy like like Cal at, at uh, Kentucky because he is just always going to say you know oh well we're we're going to get it right you know we just need more time we're young we're, you know it's it's all this stuff. And how long can you ride that narrative if you're Kentucky? And maybe this is the segue where we go into, you know, are you out on Kentucky? Absolutely. I think they are so interesting because they're a team that the whole year they can't shoot. They can't shoot. And then they come into a game where they do shoot. They shoot very well and they still lose. And so what do you point to? Because they shot the ball well against Georgia Tech. So it's come down to it now is, is it just shooting or, you know, what do you do? They're one in three. And I just want to pull up the numbers against Georgia Tech, 42% from three, 45% from the field. Those are good numbers. Those are not losing numbers. So what does Coach Cal have to complain about? What is, what is he going to now? Because this Kentucky team, they're one in three. They're not scaring anybody anymore. And you just look at some of these top teams in the SEC and kind of ask yourself, can you know? Can Kentucky hang with a Tennessee? I don't think so. I'm not sure that they can hang with Alabama or LSU even right now. And you know, at that point, when you start talking about that, let alone you know the Floridas of the world and some of these other teams, it just—I don't see it with Kentucky. I've, I've on paper, they seem like a team that should be able to contend, but based on you know how it's played out on the court, I just don't see it. I'm out on Kentucky. They're not in my top 25 it's going to take some serious wins to even get them back in the conversation. Yeah. They're going to have to run the table in conference play. If they want to regain some of, some of the momentum that they lost because Kentucky is, you know, as a blue blood, they've got that, that default of, you know, well, it's Kentucky. You know, there are a lot of question marks, but it's Kentucky. So they will be top 15. And so you're right. What do they do against LSU, Alabama? I mean, I, they're not going to beat Tennessee. Not with that defense of Tennessee. I don't think they can do it. And then, I don't yeah, think they beat Missouri like, either. No, they don't beat Missouri. And, and you know, even Georgia's playing good basketball too. The SEC, they're not as top heavy as they have been in years past because of Kentucky, but this is still a deep conference. And that's what's going to make for some really interesting matchups. Where does Kentucky fall with that? I'd be hard pressed to put them, you know, above a middle range 500 team, they might be a couple wins over, but they're just not playing good basketball. They, I don't think they have confidence in them in themselves at this point, because even when you come out and you solve your number one problem, which is like, who's going to shoot the ball on the outside. And then you still lose by double digits to Georgia tech. There are just so many question marks surrounding where this team's head is that and what their formula is moving forward, what their identity is that, until they figure it out and prove it, they're no longer going to get the benefit of the doubt. And so when it comes time for March, you know, because that's the end goal. Where are we going to be in the tournament? Where would you even put a Kentucky at this point? Do they make the tournament if they're on this trajectory? Obviously not because they're one and three. But if you've got a Kentucky team that's 500 and let's say, you know, they're playing better in February, is that when you start to give them the benefit of the doubt? Do you say, well, you know, they've got the talent and it looks like they might be putting it together. So let's put them in over a team that might be, you know, 20 and six or something, you know, in a, in a smaller conference. And I hate that, man. I, I hate 
how they get the benefit. I get it. You know, the, the bigger competition, it's natural. It plays into it. But I just think so many times we allow so many just mediocre power five teams to slip into the conference based on perception, essentially. And they end up getting rolled in the first round. And that it seems like, you know, Kentucky and Duke are well in that first round exit territory for the NCAA tournament right now. We've uh, we've pretty much covered it. Let's let's transition into some key games here before we wrap up. A lot of not not as fun of a weekend as maybe the last two, but still some really exciting games. Starting Friday Friday night, we got Iowa State at Iowa and Marquette at UCLA. A couple of primetime Friday night games, both of them worth watching. You gonna check out either of those? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it is it is full co- college basketball season now. Um, you know, I'm interested in this in this Marquette game. I'm curious about how they play against UCLA. UCLA, they've rebounded well after that San Diego State loss. And I think the good news for the Bruins is that San Diego State loss is now, it, it looks better and better every week. So they can lean on that. Still a very def- a sound defensive team. They, they started the season slow. I mean, giving up 98 points to Pepperdine is tough, tough, but their last three games, 52 to Seattle, 56 to Cal, and 56 to San Diego, those are points allowed they're getting back to their brand of basketball. I think that's going to be exciting. Iowa State against Iowa. Rivalry games are just so fascinating because it can go either way. Iowa is a powerhouse, but Iowa State hates Iowa. And so how that factors into it really can't be overstated. Teams play so well normally in, in rivalry games. It's, it's going to be fascinating. So, yeah, those are, those are two big-time games. Another one I think could be interesting is going to be Villanova at Georgetown today. Um, I, I think Georgetown is still a, a solid team. Obviously, they're not going to they, – they're not a team that anyone's going to be, you know, writing home about, for, for lack of a phrase there. But, you know, Villanova, go out there, put together a good win against a conference opponent, um, and assert yourselves as a top team because – once uh, the the rankings come out next week, it'll be interesting if they if they continue to take care of business. You know, maybe they slip up to or they they rise up to six or seven with, with a good win against Georgetown. I think they definitely have a chance. It, it's definitely one of those prove it games for Villanova. I think it's a matchup they should win fairly comfortably in the end. I think we'll see Georgetown hang Villanova pulls away late. Briefly though, you glanced over Pepperdine there. They're a team, they're kind of legit, man. Their only losses this year are UCLA and San Diego State. They lost to SDSU by five. I'm a big fan of Colby Ross, a kid out of Aurora, a guy that should have ended up at CSU or CU. It's insane to me that he's playing at Pepperdine, a legitimate scorer. Worth your time, check it out. Just wanted to briefly talk about that. We also got Illinois at Missouri on Saturday. That's a big-time matchup. Yeah, and this is a great opportunity for Missouri to go out there and and prove that they belong. And this is not a game where they need to win and look good. This is, and people hate to say it, but this is a fantastic mentor, you know, one of those mental victories, one of those moral victories that we talked about earlier, because it, it it's impossible to give them expectations that they go out there and beat Illinois. But if they can hang with the number six team in the country, I think it's going to justify a lot of their hype because right now, they're not getting as much recognition as they deserve. They just missed my top 25. Um, but I think after this week, I think they're definitely going to slip in there because I think I'm going to have a lot of fluidity now at, at the top of that. I think Colorado is going to slip out of my top 25 this week. So a team like Missouri absolutely can rise up into it. 
just show you can hang, just show that you can play good basketball and, and make it a competitive game, you know, and, and don't also, the, the thing I want to avoid here also would be a backdoor cover, you know, where they hit a couple of threes at the end and all of a sudden the box score has it, you know, they lose by six, but really the game was never close. Make it competitive, keep it within 10 at the end of the game as, as a true game. And I think Missouri will earn more recognition in that way than if they blow out any other team this week. So this is a great matchup for them. Super excited to see what they're able to do. I think it's, it's a very similar situation to the Texas-Baylor game on Sunday. I think if you're looking at Texas, you look at it a lot like how you just explained the situation for Missouri. Ultimately, everybody expects Baylor to win this game. So if you upset them, it's obviously monumental. But just, just prove that you can hang. Prove that you're you know, capable of contending with the top of the top. We talked about Kansas. You know, We're not all the way there yet. We think they are talented, but we're not sold on them as a legitimate contender. This is a chance for Texas to come out and prove, yeah, it wasn't a fluke early. You know, the, the big joke is Texas back. We'll see based on how they hang against this incredibly elite Baylor team. Yeah. I, you know, his Texas back is one of my favorite phrases, you know, <laughs> because every year we're back to it. And yeah, I completely agree. At this point in the season, these teams are not in, you know, win now mode. You don't have to come away with a win because. And this is why, you know, frankly, I thought Colorado scheduling Tennessee on short notice was such a great move because you've got these schools that are trying to earn national credit. And I think Missouri falls into that Colorado realm as well, where they play good basketball, but, you know, teams are still not all the way sold on them. So how can you get national recognition? Schedule a monster. Schedule someone who no one expects you to beat. Go out there, play sound basketball, and and come away with a win. Final game I'm really excited for this weekend, Richmond, West Virginia. You know, we've talked a lot about Richmond. They've got a really experienced lineup, first in the A-10, really off to a great start under Chris Mooney. But this West Virginia team, they've played well against everybody that they've hung so far. I mean, if you're Richmond, that win over Kentucky doesn't really have the same luster that it had a couple of, you know, even a week ago. A trip to West Virginia, it's not going to be easy. But if they go in, They win this game. I think it kind of puts them in that San Diego State discussion where it's like, you know, how do you keep them out of the, you know, the top 10, top 12 discussion just based on what we've seen from them and, you know, kind of the lack of success with some of these, you know, blue blood type programs. Yeah, this game is so fascinating because I think both teams have some skin in this game. For West Virginia, they've played fantastic basketball so far. And that loss against Gonzaga was so close. I came away from that game more impressed with West Virginia than I did going into it. So this is going to be a big test for them because yeah, Richmond, they're the 19th ranked team in the country right now, but I don't think anyone is giving them a chance. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to check the line right now. I can't seem to, to find the line, but West Virginia they are going to want to go in there and take care of business. I mean, this needs to be a a solid win for them for it to really, I think, help them long-term. For Richmond, this is a game where I think moral victory is on the table, but that's not because I don't think they can win. I think this is is a game they absolutely can win. I'm super excited for it because uh, West Virginia's defense is, is so physical. You know, how does Richmond match up with that? Because... West Virginia is it's different than Kentucky and it's going to be different than pretty much every team Richmond faces from here on out. So this is going to be a big test for them because when it comes time for tournament time, 
you need to have a key game against a, a, a big physical opponent. And since we don't know what Kentucky's going to be a couple months from now, I think it's safe to say West Virginia is still going to be relevant because they're just so dominant. They've got so much length. So, you know, how do they play about it? I'm interested. Who are you taking in this game if you've got to make a pick? It's so tough because I, I really like what we've seen out of West Virginia. And I think just being at home, that probably gives them, you know, the slight edge. Like you said, they play aggressive defense. They want to get out, you know, running. They want to get score in transition. They want to dominate the glass. They're they're one of those teams where when you watch them, you're going to get a million cliches about how hard they play and Bob Huggins guys and all this. It, it honestly becomes nauseating, but I, I, it's a really, really important game for them because everything that we've seen so far out of them shows that they are one of the elite teams in the Big 12. I think they're better than the other Virginia schools as well, which is, you know, just kind of a small bragging point in its own right, better than Virginia, better than Virginia Tech. Can you take care of business against a Richmond team who's incredibly experienced? They've got versatile guys. They got eight different guys averaging eight or more points. I just, I think it's an opportunity for both of these schools to kind of prove, hey, we're legitimate. You know, we, we are top 20 programs. It sucks that that game's Sunday at 11 a.m. Mountain. Overlapping with the NFL. Come on now. Yeah, this, this is definitely a game where I'm pulling up two screens um, so I can watch the NFL have this up as well. I think this game is going to come down to how does Richmond do at the line? They're shooting 62% from the free throw line this year. And this is a game where they're going to get their share of opportunities because Bob Huggins just loves to play so physical that West Virginia is going to foul you. And so for me, when I'm looking at what would be a key to this game, Richmond has got to just do the simple things right. Hit your free throw attempts, you know, try and play clean basketball because both of these teams turn the ball over 11 times per game. So if you can match them as far as turnovers go, I think that's a win for you as Richmond because you just need to limit the, the, how much West Virginia gets into your fast break opportunities and free, free plays. And again, for Richmond, just take care of the easy things because West Virginia they're so aggressive. They are going to make some mental errors as far as bad fouls. You know, you realistically could get a technical, or a, you know, not a technical, a flagrant or two in this game. You know, you're going to get to the line probably maybe even double than West Virginia if you can play sound basketball. So that's the key. One thing that I love that coaches talk about, and, and t- Coach Tad Boyle at Colorado talks about all the time, they're, one of their biggest keys to victory is Make more free throws than the other team attempts. If if Richmond does that in this game, if they make more free throws than West Virginia attempts, Richmond wins this game. Totally agree. Look out for three-point attempts too. Richmond isn't a a, a tremendous three-point shooting team. I think they're going to have to be able to knock down some threes in the half court in particular. Like you said, West Virginia, they play really physical. You know, Can you do some ball screens? Can you freeze some guys up? And can you knock down some shots? As a team, you know, they're putting up 22 three-point attempts a game. That's, you know, quite that's substantial, but they're only hitting 34% of them on the season. I think you got to be closer to 40% to have a chance against a physical team like West Virginia at home. Yeah, and, and that's where if I'm picking this game, I'm going to go West Virginia because of two things. I, you hit on it earlier, the home court advantage. That just helps because, you know, not having to travel and worry, especially in a COVID year, you know, people talking about, the home court advantage doesn't have the same effect because of the fans. I think that's true. But I think from conversely, 
when you travel, you have to worry about COVID so much more and, and your routine is so much more altered, obviously, than, than at home that, that that does play a factor. And Richmond just has to improve on a lot of different things. You hit on it. Three-point percentage, you've got to hit better there and you've got to hit a better clip from the charity stripe. For me, you know, West Virginia, if they go in there and play basketball at the same averages that they have been this year, I think they're able to come away with a win, assuming it, you know, Richmond doesn't do all these things. At, like They have to play a near-perfect game, and that's going to be tough to do on the road. So I do think it's going to be a close game, um, and I think that's still going to help Richmond. If you keep this game within four, five, six points, that's still going to help uh, long-term. But I, I put my money on West Virginia if I had to, but still – such a great game. And honestly, I don't know what the 11 a.m. window is for the NFL. Oh, of course, Denver's playing then. So, yeah, I'll be watching that. But I was going to say, competitively speaking, this might just be better than some of these NFL games that morning. I mean, I'm a diehard Broncos guy, a season ticket holder, so I have to have the game on. <laughs> but I'm, I'm significantly more intrigued by this college basketball game than I am by the Broncos game this weekend. And that's just kind of where we're at. And, and it shows how much good college basketball there's going right now. But man, I'm really Absolutely. looking forward to that. I think we pretty much covered it. This is you know, going to be something that we're doing on a weekly basis. I'm stoked to have Ben. You know, if, if you can't tell, this dude knows his hoops. And I just think it's going to be a blast to talk about all this because you know, what else do we got to do? It's not like you can go out right now. Let's talk a little bit of college basketball. Yeah, it's perfect. Roll up by the fire in the Christmas tree. You know, pour yourself a gla- glass of eggnog, whatever. Bust out the speaker. Stop college hoops. Let's do it. We will be back next week with more rankings, more college hoops talk, more Twitter trash talk. Follow us on Twitter at Justin T. Michael. Ben, what's your Twitter at? That is at BGerding15, G-E-R-D-I-N-G. Nice and simple. All right, that's all we've got for this week. Stay safe out there. Peace.